Welcome to the final instalment of our topic on the culture of sport. Former player and Players Association president and now Richmond Football Club CEO Brendan Gale talks about the work underway at Tigerland and why connection is the way the club is trying to bring everyone along with them. My name is Brendan Gale. I'm the Chief Executive of Richmond Football Club. I'm a father. I'm a uh, passionate diversity advocate. I'm a cold water swimmer um, and a proud Richmond supporter. Brendan Gale, welcome. Thank you, Susan. Good to be at my ash. You are a really interesting person to ask about this topic because you can come at it from both perspectives. You've been a player yourself and then you represented the players and now you help manage a successful club. Do you think we put too much pressure on sports players to be the be-all and end-all of moral virtue in society? Something we say to our players when they come in is, is you know, I guess it's the, the role model discussion. Um, at the end of the day, whether you're a role model or not, uh, you really don't get to choose. It's, it's, a, it's a decision made by other people, unfortunately. So we say to our players that the landscape changes and the things that are expected of you or the standards are probably going to be slightly different. You're going to be, you're going to be marked a bit harder. So, um, so, you know, it's something we try and, I guess, impress upon players and, and help them understand that there are different standards of behaviour and that, um, you know, the, the public invest a lot of faith and a lot of confidence and a lot of belief in, in our, in the AFL community, in the sporting community and athletes and, and so, yeah, things are going to change. Um, does it mean you become the poster boy for or, or girl for virtue and, and all things great? Um, well, no, it doesn't because, you know, we're imperfect um, and sometimes we fall short of those expectations. Um, yeah, so we just try and help articulate what the standards, expectations of conduct and behaviour are, knowing that we all fall short from time to time and... And, and when you do, you know, with a, I guess a, the AFL community as an institution, as an institution, is a, as a powerful platform. And we use those moments as teachable moments to mm-hmm. help educate and form our athletes and also the community at large. Has it changed a lot since you were a player? This, oh, the expectations? Oh, in every respect. Mm. In every respect. Um, did you, when you were a player, did you feel this real sense of community obligation on your shoulders in the way that many players today seem to? Oh, not really because I guess we're just so much more entrenched with the community. Um, I mean, I was a footballer but I wasn't defined by that. I, there wasn't this really strong athletic identity that, that you know, I'm a footballer and everything I do is defined by my performance and, and there's – then, you know, I've got to maintain that position, respect and standing within the community. It was like I was of the community. It was, at the end of the day, I, guys worked, they were teachers, they were plumbers, they were studying like I was and um, football was just something you did on the side. Mm. So um, so now, now, you know, we've had this, we've had this, um, you know, footballers are full-time professionals off the back of a broadcasting-driven commercial revolution. Um, and with that comes a degree of 
well, it's not a degree, it's perpetual scrutiny. It's perpetual judgment, it's ongoing. So I think how athletes uh, are scrutinised and evaluated and, and, you know, with the whole way news is going anyway, this race to outrage and division, et cetera, et cetera, it's extremely different. Um, you know, they're very much a lot more celebrity public figure people these days. Yeah, and that has to mess with your head, being treated with, being treated in that way, people turning to stare at you. Yeah, I, well, I don't know if humans are designed to be able to cope with that level of scrutiny or fascination. You know, we, we, try, we try and ensure that players, you know, don't define themselves by that sense of athletic identity. Because as an athlete, you rise and fall. Mm. You have great performances and, and poor performances. So if your whole sense of self-worth and self-confidence um, is tied in with that, you're going to find it pretty hard. So we, we work really hard to, to separate the person from the athlete, to, to help you know, develop the person, to help that sense of um, self-exploration, self-understanding um, and self-worth and self-love. Um, and that, you know, the saying we have at Richmond is that, you know, you're enough you're enough. There's this football athletic part of you, but you're enough. So I think there's, you know, trying to provide that sense of insulation is really important. We often hear people talk about there being a problem in the culture of sport. Do you think that's a fair critique? Uh, no, I don't. No. I mean, but we're, we're, I, I mean that, I don't know what that means. Mm. Um, if, if people are going to be more specific... Um, well, I guess, you yeah. know, that we hear awful stories or accusations about sexual assault or yeah. racism or yeah. homophobia um, and we often see it played out in this theatre of sport. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a fair comment and it, I think it, it's probably a consequence of the position that sport holds and how we, you know, our earliest comments, how we look up to clubs as trusted institutions or athletes. Um, but... You know, I've been involved in many different fields of endeavour and, and um, you know, like we've – most time Richmond Football Club takes the field, we've got f- five Indigenous players play. It's, it's nearly 20% of our team. Um, so, I mean, I couldn't think of any other workforces where there's 20% of your workforce made up of Indigenous players and, and I think you, you could draw a line across the AFL community. Um, so, you know, I think in, in terms of – in terms of race, I think we've come a long way to create an inclusive environment where people, players, athletes can be proud to be and be themselves and be included for who they are and make really strong contributions. Um, now, do we get it right all the time? No, we don't. Um, you know, I look at the Adam Goods scenario. I look at um, – but – is that an opportunity to be introspective, look at ourselves, and and you know, and provide teachable moments to our support base? And you know, they are, they are teachable moments. Um, you know, Jen is another one, I guess. Are we? Well, look, we've got a long way to go, um, but in the sport that I'm involved with, and it's probably a, the same for a lot of sports, but Australian rules footy since. The 1850s has been played by men. It's been coached by men. It's been managed by men. Um, it's 
the story of sport and football has been told by men, broadcasts, the media. So, um, so you know, there's been some really encouraging ch- change. Um, you know, we, we're passionate about diversity um, as a footy club. There's been some really encouraging change. Is it? It could be. Could it be quicker? Yes. It. Yes. It could. But it's sort of not going to happen overnight. But um, you know, the AFL women's competition has, like, it's 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 seismic in its impact on our code in terms of creating legitimate career pathways, normalising the presence of women within footy clubs. Um, you know, my boss, Peggy O'Neill, and it's incredibly a powerful symbol. I mean, symbols, I mean, she's much more than a symbol, but, gee, they're, they're damn important. Mm-hmm. So so I think we've got a long way to making it, a, you know, an inclusive environment where people are proud to be and express themselves fully. Um, but have we got work to – can we make further prog- progress? Yes, we can. We t- you mentioned about the the celebrity of uh, sport, how sports people are celebrities now, and the male and the female, they're, yeah. you know, they're they're iconic. What do you think has driven that change? Like you said, when you were playing footy, you know, you were still studying, other people working. What has created this? We, we've kind of returned to the the Greek god idea of the sports person. What's precipitated that? Do you think? Yeah, I, so I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the proliferation of social media. You know, I think sport has, rightly or wrongly, become a little more. It, it's a, it's, a, it's a, you know, sport is more of a media property than it ever was before. Um, and there's probably an, a bit of an Americanization of sport. Yeah. Um, and so where the people who follow sport, consume sport, maybe a bit more drawn to the individual rather than the individual brand, the star. Um, as opposed to the team. Yeah. In a very divided society, more fractured and siloed mm. perhaps than ever mm. before, sport is one of the few things, mm. footy in particular, that does bring so mm. many people together from different backgrounds, class backgrounds, which is which is a big mm. one. Um, and I feel that change. You know, I'm a woman that wears hijab and, you know, I mean, I've, worn it, I've been Muslim for decades. And I remember about 20 years ago, I felt uncomfortable going to the footy in my hijab. And sometimes people would say things and I didn't feel like it was my space. I feel different now when I go to the footy. Like if you are part of the team, it is a tribalism that can be very inclusive. And, of course, racism, sexism, homophobia, all these things play out of sport, undoubtedly. But I think that's also a function of sport is made up of the people of society and we have sexism and racism and homophobia in our society. Yeah. So, of course, we would find them in our sport as well. Yeah, we're, 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 look, we're in the basis. I don't want to sound self-important, but we're in the basis of nation building. You know, I think sport in that context, and this is not just elite sport, this is community sport. This is bringing people together, you know, when everything seems to be pulling people apart, has a huge responsibility well, a huge opportunity, um, but it comes with great responsibility. And when you fall short, you know, when you assume that responsibility, they come at you with baseball bats because people expect more of us now and they feel we trust you. You know, it's, it's a privileged position to sort of play in. Yeah, 
we do seem to be seeing sort of, and in fact, this we know this for a fact that people are not involved in community and society in the way that we used to be. Many years ago, there was a famous sociological book written called Bowling Alone, which was this investigation into the way things that we used to do together collectively, like you said, go to church, you know, join the local choir, those sort of things. We start, we weren't doing that together anymore. Mm. It was this the disappearing of society mm. in many ways. Sport seems to be one of the very few institutions mm. we still have, at least in Australia, where it actually seems to be growing that more people are participating either as viewers, as club members or in community mm. sport. Why do you think sport seems to be the one thing, one of the very few things that is still bringing people together? Um, because at the end of the day, I think fundamentally it does. It, sport doesn't say anything about race or gender. It doesn't say anything about class. If you can pick up the ball and throw it, or you can pick up, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's, so so you, can, you can participate. Now, people say, well, hang on a minute. This, you know, it's, fundamentally, that, that's true. Um, and, and you can participate on athlete, oh, sorry, as an athlete on field, or you're welcome to consume and participate off the field. In fact, it goes to the heart of our business model. We've got no business in development. We want to include everyone. Mm. We want to include everyone. We want everyone to come and feel welcome and and um, and safe and supported. It's not all about altruism. It actually goes to the heart of our business model. I look at the media these days and I just think the media is just all about creating division and conflict and outrage because that, that goes to their business model and sells papers and creates interest eyeballs. That's, that's not us. <laughs> we want to include. Mm-hmm. Um and it's interesting you talk about division and fragmentation, even popular culture. There was a time when you'd, you'd go to um, uni or work the next day and you'd, you'd talk about Seinfeld, not before, it's oh, what about George and what didn't, you know. <laughs> You don't even have that anymore. People go to their own rooms and their own devices, watch whatever they want when they want it. So, mm, so, so this thought frag- is it, one of the it, few it, time-based things that brings us together. This fragmentation. You're right, because... Yeah, we, we used to all watch Seinfeld together, yeah. or whatever, because it was on yeah. the night before at seven thirty. But with everything streaming, it's real and, time. It's live. Yeah, sport is one of the few things that we do watch as a collective. Mm. You know, I, I often the question you asked right at the start about you know what's wrong with our culture. I get I get a little bit sensitive because there is the, the social benefits that we provide, the benefits, the inclusive culture, the participation, the health vitality, the community strengthening, the unif- I mean, the, the the benefits we provide are significant. I'm really you know I'm really proud to be to be part of this big powerful sort of community um, and gee do we make mistakes yeah we do are, are we are we marked hard for them yes we are because of the position we hold and that goes with the territory um, but you know we use those from those difficult times and challenges we use those opportunities to teach and inform and right continue to raise the standards and raise the bar I think one thing we've learned during this year is that we are social beings. Yeah. We function best when we're 
when we're in a group or with other people. You know, one human being is not really a human being. No. We are. We're meant to be in a group. I remember, uh, I think I was there with you when Richmond won that first grand final four years ago. Yeah. And you said, the reason this matters to me so much is I can share it with my family. Indeed. My family yeah. was here with me. These, this, I, I want to share this moment. This is why it matters more than other individual big life moments. Because this is something that I have shared. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's why even this most recent premiership doesn't quite feel real. It feels like a bit of a distance at a dream because, you know, we win. I mean, the grand final, Siren to Siren, felt like a grand final. It was in, you know, no holds barred, intense. It was a blockbuster. But from the siren ended and we got in the rooms and, you know, pat in the back and, you know, a bit of a cuddle and hug and all that sort of, you know, have a cold beer. And then we go back to our... <laughs> our student dorm slash hub in the Gold Coast. I was like, what do we do now? It was like, could have been Vermont South Football Club. <laughs> no disrespect to Vermont South. So it's it's that sharing. It's the sharing. It's the it's the, the family, the loved ones who endure so much um, and, and probably sacrifice so much. It's, it's, the, it's the board. It's my staff. It's the Richmond fans. It's the family day the next day. There's those big set pieces where you share – the achievement and it sort of franks it. Well, I just feel like we haven't had that. Mm. Um, but um, I think, particularly for a club like you, which, like you said, your ethos is connect to absolutely. thrive and win. Yeah. And that that anchor point didn't feel like it was fully there. So, how can you win and thrive if you didn't have the connect? Indeed. So we're trying to, you know, work our ways how we can, you know, we had like a, a, a dinner last night with a, with a group of people and who have been big supporters of the club and that it was good to catch up with these people. And uh, But we need to do that en masse and, you know, we've had obviously difficulties with COVID and, but um, maybe maybe the new year. But, but uh, no, sharing, it's all about sharing. And for the people that do feel passionate about sport but maybe think, like every other aspect of society, they'd like to be part of a positive change as well, how would you recommend they be part of it? Um, I, would, I would just go to, the, go to the club and put your hand up and reach out um, because clubs, their futures um, and their survival depend on it. I mean, you know, clubs need to continue to grow and evolve um, and 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 make sure they're reflective of a population that is changing so rapidly um, and and so if you're from you know a, a person who hasn't you know been involved in sport or from a different background or whatever um, I'd encourage you to reach out because you know clubs I think there's a real appetite to change and evolve because you know, you can't be what you can't see. Um, and if, you know, if Richmond Football Club is made up of blokes like me sitting around guiding the future direction of the footy club, we're going to shrink at the vine because I'm going to project an image of a footy club that's based on my lived experience and my views and my own biases. So that's why we're passionate about diversity. It's not just for the – it's not just, I guess, for, for the internal capability and talent building – it's we, we want to reflect a, an image of our club um, that's reflective of these great changes in our nation. Um, so I guess my point is 
put your hand up, mm. reach out, get involved because there's a real willingness and appetite for people to, to include and to sort of renew um, and grow. Because if we don't grow, you know, the, there's no future. Mm. Brenda Gale, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Susan. Pleasure. In the previous two episodes, we've taken the lay of the land from our experts and heard about the challenges facing sport and also the areas of hope and change. We've gathered the very best nuggets of wisdom from all of our experts to help individuals take action and get involved. My name's Professor Brett Hutchins. I'm a Professor of Communications and Media Studies at Monash University. I've got a PhD in sociology and I've been writing about media, political, cultural issues in sport for the past 25 years. Professor Brett Hutchins, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Good to be here. For people who are listening at home and wondering, what role can I play? I'm not an elite sports person, but I would love to help improve the culture of sport or increase diversity in sport. What can they do? Where should they start? Well, there's a few different places people can start. First of all, is if you are involved in junior sport in any way, of course, get involved and set an example for kids. I mean, if you want to know what kids, as we know, and I find it, you know, immediately distressing when I think of um, raising my own son, but of course they learn when we're not, they don't learn from what they're saying, they learn from what we do. My son just rolls his eyes at me. I mean, it's like another lecture. He, he's, my son's been the unfortunate He's raised by a lecturer, so, you know, it's sort of the messages start to wear out. But I do know he learns from my example. I do know he learns from the way I treat people. He he knows by the way that, you know, when we go to the football, instead of, you know, if you think about disability rights, you know, instead of walking past a person in the wheelchair who's trying to make contact with you, smile and say hello. Um. He sees me down the, you know, he sees me down the cricket club helping out, you know, with scoring and and things, and at the soccer club and, you know, running the lines and things. So you know, if, if you think about, it, we can all play a role because our kids are watching, and kids, and if and if one doesn't have kids, of course, and you are a fan of a sport or a club, gauge your club. You know, you are if you are a member, write to your club when they have not. You know, tell them what they're doing well, really importantly, and then when you're proud of what they've done in the community and what their players are doing. You know, when a footballer shows up to the Starlight Room at the Royal Children's Hospital and, you know, and a parent notices that because they're usually in a pretty bad situation if you're in the Starlight Room at the Children's Hospital, you know, that, that's a wonderful thing and that, that gets almost no publicity. So, you know, let the club know that you're really proud of the fact that the athlete was there and it made a difference. Um, you know, and, and when, when clubs don't, sort of live up to the standards that I'm sure they claim to, you know, point that out too. You know, there, there, are, there are voices. You know, there's also, of course, things like social media. Um, and I really think, importantly, you know, there's also writing to things like leagues and becoming involved in any other way. You know, like I, th- I think fans underestimate their power. These clubs only exist because people are willing to pay the money, you know. Mailing back memberships mm. is it might feel like a token act, but it does they do notice, you know, and I think most people need to be aware that almost every professional sport club in this country won't admit it, but they have people looking at the online forums for their for their clubs. They're often there anonymously, but they're watching because I know through my research I've actually spoken to them about this fact. That you know, and and speaking out against abhorrent behaviour. You know, if you think about, um, 
really someone like Adam Goods is both, you know, both uh, uh, for a while there was just such a sad story. He's become quite an heroic figure in a lot of ways, as much as I'm sure he probably doesn't like that term. Um, but, you know, it, it did come from a set of debates among fans that finally got the AFL to understand that Sam Newman is not the voice of the community here. You know, Sam Newman, without wishing to get myself sued, appears to be pretty racist if you judge him by his public comments. So, but, you know, the, there's a lot of people in the outer who don't feel the same way mm. and weren't booing. Um, and certainly cricket's a lot more pleasant these days from when I was growing up. I mean, being at the SCG growing up when the Indian team was f- playing was frankly a pretty awful experience. You know, the, 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 the abuse from the outer towards the, the Indian players standing on the, on the boundary line was not great. You know, it's a different cricketing environment now and of course you can actually dob in what's called social anti-social behavior mm. as much as Australians don't tend to like the word dob but the simple point is this is someone's workplace and you're sitting there and you know like most of our kids growing up in cities have friends from all different cultures and ethnicities it's not really cool and so you think it's improving I do mm. I think it's got a long way to go I, mean, I, I think and, and really I think what this comes back to is that this part of me because of where I'm from, because of what I was able to want to do with my body, because of my family relationships, because of my community relationships. It's part of me that genuinely loves sport. I'm ambivalent about it most of the time, but why would I be dedicating so much energy to it if I didn't at some level do that? The thing about loving something is also wanting it to be better, to actually to the good things that it offers – the, 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 you know, the, the good experiences, those, those moments of joy and, 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 and uh, I suppose sadness, the ups and downs, you know, y- you want as many people to access the good parts of sport as possible. We want more accessibility. We, we want more diversity because at its best, of course, it offers the very, very rare transcendent moments where we get to experience them collectively. And just it doesn't happen to me much these days, but just occasionally something will happen in sport and I, find, I, I get that feeling in my chest. There's a, I don't know what you'd call it, a joy, a happiness, whatever. Like that is amazing. And, of course, wanting everyone to experience that or experience for themselves by going onto, onto, onto a sporting field. So everything from disability sport to, to age sport – it's something that should be open to a lot more people than it presently is because of, I think, the dominance of the elite model. If you can't do it this way, this isn't for you. We lose so many kids in junior sport who should continue because of the, the, the really wonderful experiences. But I'm not going to make it. I'm not good enough. I, you know, and, and they're the message, you're not going to make it to the next level. I mean, that's ridiculous. It should be exact. If two, only 2% of the population could be an elite sportsman, we should be really setting up systems that allow us to keep the 98% and not build them around to feed through for the 2%. And that's when I say, you know, I've, there's part of me that loves sport. I can't play it anymore because of various injuries caused by actually having once played it at a high level. That's the thing. It comes with a physical cost. But that's not really what you want for most people. You want the enjoyment. You want the social experience. You want the ups and downs. You want, I don't know, you just want the social contact and ritual. I mean, that's, I think that's what COVID showed us in a lot of ways. When you remove that, what we're missing, we, we miss our routines. We're habitual creatures. And sport can really play a powerful role in, you know, creating good habits as opposed to bad ones. 
Professor Brett Hutchins, thank you very much for today. You're welcome. Good to speak to you. Hi, my name is Eric Dennison. I'm from the School of Social Sciences at Monash University, and I study ways to stop homophobic and sexist behaviour in sport, but uh, really in any setting. Eric Dennison, welcome. Thank you. If people are really interested in this topic and they want to find out more, where could they go? Where's a good place to get some accessible, reliable information? There's a really good paper that I think is their most downloaded paper in the history of Harvard Business Review. It's called Why Diversity Programs Fail. Uh, that That's a really good entry point because um, it really helps you understand everything I've just talked about. Um, and I think... Back in the 30s, there was a study by Richard Lapierre that found this, that people would, um, in person, um, it was a study, basically, they traveled around America, he went with a Chinese couple, and it was there was a very strong anti-Chinese sentiment back then. Um, and so when he surveyed the places, they said, no, he, we don't serve Chinese people. When he went in person, they served the Chinese people. Different norms, different conforming. So we've known about this for a long time. So just, you know, enter conformity to norms, um, attitude behavior gap, um, anything like that, or, you know, um, our research, um, those at Behavior Works are doing a fair bit on prejudice reduction now in terms of what actually works, not mm. what we assume to work, which is generally, you know, I think a lot of the social programs that we have developed haven't been evidence-based, you know, haven't been rigorously designed. And then we're wondering why literacy rates are going down for kids, not up. And so, well, how did we design these programs? You know, mm. did we actually were they rigorous? Were they did we think about implementing them in multiple different settings? You know, those kinds of things. So so I think it's probably around just looking up that conformity to norms, conformity to behavior. And there are so many papers on that. Um, and I get the sense, you know, I guess I'm doing my duty as the scientist telling the world that um, if you're a senior manager, middle manager, rugby coach, um, there's a lot of resources out there. We've made a video actually in collaboration with UBC, which explains all of the, what we've just talked about. So I can send that to you. But the video looked at why all the anti-homophobia programs in sport have failed. And we explained really clearly, was it was a behavior science YouTube channel, um, that it's because they've been focusing on the attitudes, not the norms. Mm. And so and we explained why that works and what they need to do. So uh, that might be a useful video that's made for sport, but it could be applied for pretty much any setting. Eric Dennison, thank you so much for your time. Hi, I'm Ruth Jeans. I'm an associate professor in the Faculty of Education at Monash University and um, my research looks at community sport and inclusion and diversity within community sport. Ruth Jeans, so nice to meet you. It's lovely to meet you, Susan. Thank you. What advice would you give to someone who wants to support diversity and inclusion in sport? What should they do? Um, oh, I think there's, there's many things really. I think just in, in general in terms of, you know, supporting diversity and inclusion do support diverse forms of sport. Mm. So um, for our, our women athletes, watch them, you know, watch yeah. them on the TV, engage with them, um, go and see games, get out there and, and do that. Um, and I think... Um, be willing to sort of, yeah, uh, 
embrace diverse forms um, of sport and to engage with that. I think, uh, you know, a sort of pragmatic level, if you're involved in sport locally at your local club, just having a look at, you know, who's there and who's not and mm. why why are they there and, and why are they not? Who's running the club? Who's the people making the decisions? And is the diversity there? Is there inclusion there? And if there isn't, can can you advocate for that? Can you suggest that maybe we make some changes and, and bring in more diverse representation on our club committees and who's coaching, who's coaching our kids and, um, you know, what's their background and can we do more to, to support them, um, support different types of coaches to get into the sporting arena? So I think... Um, it is about that sort of, I think first, you know, most important thing is recognising that it's not an equal playing field and that sport isn't inclusive is a big first step and then seeing, okay, well, how, how can I support others um, within that and really advocate for them? Ruth Jeans, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Hi, I'm Rana Hussain. I'm a diversity and inclusion consultant. I work with the Richmond Football Club and the Do More Project. Rana Hussain, thank you so much for joining us. For the average person at home who is not an elite sports person and doesn't own a media company, what can they do to support or increase um, diversity in sport, inclusion in sport? My biggest tip would be if you're a member, speak up. Club. Well, first I would say be a member, become a member of your local club or your elite club. Um, if you can afford it, buy a membership and then use your voice, use the opportunities that that provides because clubs, whether local or at elite level, will listen to their members. If their members say they want something or they're not happy about something, they will listen because it is ultimately a business. That's the bottom line here. So. Um, use your voice in that way, write in letters, call the club, keep pressure. If it matters to you, keep pressure on the pressure on your club because they will listen. Um, and then I think as well, you know, if particularly around gender, you know, vote with your eyeballs, <laughs> watch women's sport, go watch a game if you can be there live, buy a ticket or watch on television wherever it's you know, broadcast because, again, the argument that comes back around being more equitable with diversity and particularly with women's sport is that people don't watch it. Mm. People don't turn up. It's not making us money. So if we want it to happen, then we need to turn up and and show them that we want it. And then the other thing I would say is if you've got a, a, a club that you like, if it's Richmond, you know, look into what the community side of your clubs are doing because they actually do so much work in this space. There's so much that's happening. It's just not the story that's told often. Mm. Uh, And again, that's because I think clubs feel like people only tune in for the kind of dusty story or the (laughs) Trent Cotchen story. But if you are interested in this space and you want to see more of it, Click on those videos, Mm. you know, click on those website articles and let them know that you like hearing about that stuff. Rana Hussain, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode and for this topic. We'll be back next time with a brand new conundrum to unpack on what happens next.